when we can break free of those ideas of what my compassion threshold is mm. and give ourselves the benefit of the doubt that maybe I can be a whole lot more than what I gave myself credit then that exchange becomes magnificently potentially enlightening and, the, and those moments become life-changing mm. actually revolutionary to the kind of um, life that we want to live because based on those direct experiences our whole belief system will shift hello and welcome to curious ones podcast by andara I'm Yael Ginsberg, the host of the podcast, a yoga and meditation teacher and philosophy lover. Each week you will hear eye-opening interviews with the different teachers of the Yandara Yoga Institute located in beautiful Baja, Mexico, along with other teachers that pass through here. This life-changing knowledge shared through authentic, heartfelt communication will help you live a happier, more fulfilled and connected life. Let's dive in. Welcome to the first episode of Curious Ones podcast by Andara. I'm Yael Ginsberg, and I'm so excited to finally share this project. One of my biggest inspirations to start this podcast was my guest today, my teacher, Christopher Perkins. Christopher co-founded Yandara Yoga Institute almost 20 years ago and has trained many generations of yoga teachers from across the globe. Christopher had a very interesting upbringing growing up in the SKMC Meditation Center in Virginia, where he started meditating at the age of four. And over the years, he continued to study uh, many different philosophies and practices of awareness, including Qigong, wilderness meditation, also known as Vision Quest, Vipassana meditation, and Tibetan Buddhist meditation, just to name a few. He has studied with great teachers, starting with Sant Darshan Singh, Dharma Mitra, Guru Das, Shira Ray, John Milton, and many more. What I loved about his teachings is that they are always rooted in connecting to the presence and flow of life in such an intuitive way. He is able to see deeper into what is going on and approaches each moment as a student, yet full of knowledge and compassion. His workshops that usually turned into fascinating conversations about life were one of my favorite parts of the training. And as I was thinking, how can I keep learning from him and the other amazing teachers that teach here at Yandara, I thought a podcast could be a really amazing way to extend their teachings outside the boundaries of Yandara's beautiful grounds here in Baja, Mexico. So here we are. Welcome to the podcast, Christopher. Thank you. I'm so pleasure uh, it's such a pleasure and an honor to be here and you know when we first sat down to talk about this vision and this concept that you brought up I remember thinking that this was a missing piece and it made so much sense so thank you I just know that there are many people out there that are curious just like we are and a way to connect with them uh, through the podcast I think is a brilliant idea so thank you for starting this my definite pleasure <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. 
So I thought we could start with a conversation that we had a few days ago because it was really insightful and interesting for me. And I think it's something that every one of us deals with and it could be a really interesting topic to delve into. So the topic is these beliefs and behavioral patterns that we take on as children. And they are kind of, as children, we see them as the way that we should be in the world in order to be safe. But then we end up taking them with us to adulthood. And although we might know better, they still end up really governing our thoughts and our actions in how we move in the world. So could you talk about that, please? You know, there have been so many people um, trying to gain spiritual insights. You know, they come to the trainings and they want to have better yoga practice or deeper meditations and uh, Obviously, in order to make their lives a bit more clear, fulfilling, however they want to be happy, you know. So uh, we get into some practices and we look at some techniques. And inevitably, hours later, after the technique, after the practice, they feel like, but I'm still struggling with how am I going to bring this home? Mm -hmm. What am I going to do to make this, you know, this new um, experience a normal for me? And so what I've found over the years when we investigate what is the mechanism that provides kind of a, um, well, it gives an opportunity for us to re back, almost like recreate a a previous identity. Mm -hmm. Even if we've had a very profound experience of who we are, even if we've been able to dive very, very deeply in a particular moment and have clear insight, there's this very strong tendency to just revert Mm-hmm. And I've been exploring what that mechanism is because for me, success is about long-standing actual evolution, like noticing when the pieces are falling into place more easily or when our lives seem to uh, be in a flow state. So when I've questioned people and asked what's beneath that, which is a very common sort of inquiry question, is what's beneath that, mm-hmm. um, inevitably we end up finding some emotion and the emotion is like a little trail of breadcrumbs so we like to take advantage of that and the emotion of being frustrated for example or afraid of the future moment when i will experience the same struggle find myself in the same difficult interaction with my partner or my boss or family member so this is this is the main reason that i got really interested in this is watching myself go into very, very deep experiences and then watch my patterns of how I identify with a certain perspective or a certain role or a certain belief. Um, And being able to identify those in myself has made it very clear that most people seeking spirituality uh, that I've met uh, most, I would say, are actually seeking a form of emotional maturity, actually. Mm-hmm. And spirituality has been a way to gain perspective, of course, on this life and have less attachments to how we maybe demand it to be, um, because those demands cause a lot of suffering for us. We get attached and then disappointments and uh, obsessions and things like that. So the most important piece that I've found is that uh, when we evolve in our early age of life, we we normalize the environment that we're in by creating a belief system that accepts and includes that 
maybe a disappointing relationship or um, a very challenging emotional interaction or it could be a long-standing relationship of um, a parent that doesn't really recognize the child as being good enough just as they are but rather mm-hmm. waiting for them to achieve something quite um, you know recognizable in order to justify giving attention mm-hmm. or really really showing them affection mm-hmm. oh you got an a on your report card very classical you know yeah. kind of you got a high grade okay then we get to have fun yeah if you don't get a high grade you know then i don't really put myself um, out for you as mm-hmm. a parent or as a guardian yeah so we have this kind of emotional ransom going on and these uh, very common normal practices in a family uh, dynamic create a belief st- uh, system and then it becomes a structure for our personality to make it in the world so that person who is held very um, strictly to accomplishment and and not just accomplishment but real like recognizable achievement measurable achievements are the prerequisite for happiness right because i'm only happy as a child when I have my you know, loving parents or my guardians really showing up for me. Mm-hmm. So I immediately equate success with some level of contentment, fulfillment, happiness, mm-hmm. safety, particularly as we are um, wired to, n- to notice the mood that our parents or our guardians are in in order to gauge whether or not we're safe. Because if our guardians are f- uh, sort of finding us un worthy of their attention um, if you think about how we would have been back in the stone age for example when we were evolving consciousness of community and, and culture there would be uh, a real threat to being left out you know if i'm on the outskirts of the circle of that tight-knit tribe or community then i would legitimately be um, food for a tiger for example mm-hmm. if i was left behind so it's been wired into us for you know, many, many, many years, and um, you can see that we will do everything in our power to stay on good terms, like really good terms with our caregivers, so that, that we stay in their fold. You know, we're right. so we will be accepted by them as part of the community, as part of that tribe. Mm-hmm. So it's literally a survival mechanism for us to normalize whatever it means to make them happy with mm-hmm. us, because that's when we know we'll be either given food, nourishment, or be included and kept into the pack, mm-hmm. you know, held dear in that, in that community, a tight-knit family. Um, so it's normal and natural for a child to literally change their whole outlook on the world based on watching the mannerisms of their parents based on mm-hmm. whatever their actions are. So if, yeah. I, if I do really good in school, parents get happy, I get a reward. Right. Later on in life, that becomes a personality trait. And someone would describe that individual as being driven, highly successful. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we see these power, you know, not power hungry necessarily, but power driven mm-hmm. individuals who, if you would investigate very sensitively into their history, I, would, I wouldn't be that surprised if you found one or more of the parents were quite strict with when and how they received some affection mm-hmm. or some form of real connection. Yeah. And we'd, I think nine times out of 10, we'd find a very clear correlation between what they were taught is a, a deserving person of love and what wasn't a deserving person of love. Mm-hmm. And so these, these little belief systems then frame a personality for our uh, following adult life, mm-hmm. lives to unfold. 
Yeah, that makes so much sense with the society that we live in that really we equate, like you said, we equate success with happiness. This need in our society to achieve and be great and have these external successes in order to get the love that we naturally deserve and relating that to this reward system reward system that we had as children and when we got a good grade we got attention when we behave the way that we should behave we got um you know an award for it mm-hmm. and when we didn't we got uh, reprimanded exactly i think it's so important to recognize when we didn't get it mm-hmm. what did we get mm-hmm. did we get to um were we told then we couldn't enjoy life you know sent to the room exactly yeah. told to be quiet go to the room uh, disconnected mm-hmm. isolated alienated yeah all the things that would trigger a survival mechanism mm-hmm. uh, to shut down and create tension in the body and later on in life those tensions then manifest as this ease in some form or another that we want to avoid either disassociate from through yeah. a lot of mental activity or you know make some uh really strong personality commitments the subconscious strong personality commitments that would make sure that we don't ever go to those places mm-hmm. you know like really we create a personality identity mm-hmm. that really works in society to make sure we don't ever have to deal with those yeah and entertainment at, at the finger at all of our fingertips basically makes that very easy as well mm-hmm. because we can present our personality on social media and we can create whatever reality that mm-hmm. we think is going to yeah whatever lead us to that position of success or yeah success is a very interesting time that we're in actually Mm -hmm. we're supporting that that diluted mind that thinks that success um, in certain forms is the prerequisite for deep and lasting fulfillment Mm -hmm. it's interesting very and i think for me it connects with um what our whole society is going through in terms of the treatment of women, because what you said is that we were trained to um, get the approval of our authority figures. And then so many women, also men, I think, mm-hmm. are in positions where they really want to be approved of by their teachers, their boss, their leaders. And then they confuse that to be something romantic and there is a, a possibility for the person that is in power to take advantage of that. Of course. And one um, observation that we can make is that when someone strives um, in a very sort of overt way for power or some role of, um, if there's and if there's an internal motivation to get that power position in order for hopefully a promise of happiness or a promise of contentment, oh, now I've got this certain status, then we can see that there's um, there's a motivation out of insecurity or a question of, am I worthy without that? Do I deserve happiness without that? Mm-hmm. And if one doesn't address the underlying situation of the whatever insecurity or, or lack of self-love, lack of self-awareness, um, then the position, of course, um, becomes a, a, it's like a like your own bubble, you know, living in one's own. Uh, we think, of, well, Putin, for example. I know this is not mm-hmm. a political conversation, but when someone is so surrounded by 
um, an environment that's just an echo chamber, then all kinds of delusions can arise. And we see that numerous situations, you know, right. with power, power roles. When, numerous. And, yeah. And so we, of course, with power comes a lot of responsibility to know the motivations, I would say, behind all of that action that come out of that power role. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone's powerful. Everyone's infinitely powerful. But, of course, the question um, of how we use it comes up, particularly when we are in a role in society where that power is far-reaching. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, you know, I think, highlighted, you know, because it's it's everywhere. It's in even, you say, this may be a subjugation of the feminine, you know, the female um, archetype in a household that no one hears about. The same thing happens in the power differential between, you know, the husband or the man of the house or the role that is seen as the power position. And, you know, a woman who, for whatever reason, finds herself in that situation, you know, that whole dynamic is still there, but we don't really talk about it so much unless mm-hmm. it's on the stage, of, you know, like the television news um, stories that really illustrate the people that are affecting wide audiences. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't have to be just because it's in the macrocosm in this big spotlight, but that's you know the only place that it exists. It's really it's an uh, it's innate mm-hmm. in the individual who sees themselves as less than, mm-hmm. and if they see themselves as less than, there's this immediate sort of seeking to who I can get above, mm-hmm. who I can control in order to become more a little bit more than I believe I am, in which we see the belief of who how much I or what I deserve or how valuable I am comes from those, again, original um, stru- family dynamics, you know. Yeah. And so if, if one feels that their life isn't valued, you know, if the child is seen as just, you know, an annoyance, for example, mm-hmm. or gets in the way or is somehow um, taking attention from the work or taking attention from the whatever else you know the parent might really rather be doing based on their sort of weakness to a certain thing you know maybe it's mm-hmm. either work or uh, another person or whatever we have numerous layers of belief around how valuable we are mm-hmm. in our in, within our own self not in society but literally just our own existence yeah how much value is here before i perform anything before i succeed in anything before i provide a service that is there as a sort of um, threshold, like a, there's like a, a com- I, I call it a threshold. It's like a point at which um, I see myself as not being enough, you know, like a certain point. Okay. Yeah. I'm not enough for this situation. Mm-hmm. I'm not good enough to deserve that. Yeah. I'm not good enough to deserve that situation. So I'll sabotage it. Mm-hmm. And so if I cross my threshold in my daily life, my, my inner threshold of what I deserve, based on my original belief systems then no matter what if i haven't addressed that original belief system i will make uh, some decision that undermines that particular win you might say in that situation whether that's with a partner whether that's with a certain security or a job situation or a certain environment that's you know maybe more pleasurable or more successful in some actually meaningful way but I may not believe that that's something I ultimately deserve underneath all of it. And I've noticed that in myself. When I look at situations, I'm like, wow, 
this is amazing. And then I watch myself and I'll start to do things if I'm not careful. I'll do things that'll make it like uh, become a struggle mm-hmm. or make it become a little more challenging and then not sustainable. Yeah. And then I have to go back in. Okay. Tend to my little guy. Yeah. Are you really not worthy of that? And I actually have a relationship, a conversation and an actual interaction that's going to reframe the um, maybe diff- difficult situation with uh, a bit more love around it, a bit mm-hmm. more acceptance. And so, <laughs> and so this is actually one of the most important pieces here is recognizing when we're sabotaging mm-hmm. the life that we've been given yeah. because of a uh, limiting belief. Yeah. Well, it's, it's beautiful what you said, and I would love to really dive into that. What do we actually do? Because a lot of time, I definitely have seen that in myself as well. Mm-hmm. When we expand, we work on ourselves, and then we actually are able to expand and manifest. And, and, manifest. Right. and then come these sabotaging uh, behaviors that really stem from this lack of self-worth right we we don't really know what our worth is so i would love to talk about how does one realize what their actual worth is and work on having that as something innate and not something because a lot of times we might know in our mind but then we don't really really believe it and then of course the actions don't match and also you kind of touched on inner child work so Maybe you can sure. uh, expand on that. Yeah, you know, we're, we're adults here. You know, yeah. That's the whole point. We are adults, um, but we act like children in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, we act the way that we learned yeah. was working. And these beliefs were made in childhood. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there are some systems that will support uh, some ancient uh, yogic and Vedic philosophies that support, as well as Western uh, psychology, the finding that the most formative years um, actually go backwards from the most formative experience around birth, even in utero, Mm. where we don't even register things as visual memory. Mm -hmm. We're just energetic experiences. We're just experiencing vibration or emotion, uh, and we don't actually log it in a a context or a structure that we can later access Mm -hmm. easily we can access it of course but um, those are the most formative because we don't even uh, put we don't even put walls around those experiences we don't even put people yeah necessarily of visual exactly so we're actually able to create real universal beliefs like beliefs about what the universe is Mm. and what my part in that is Mm. so very very fundamental existential questions live at that level of subconscious before the visual memories start because uh, that's when we're uh, quite you'd say like um un unburdened you know mm-hmm. by the ego and by the identity of i am here you're there mm-hmm. and all this sort of social uh, play that we do so then it becomes less and less and less and less in terms of our vulnerability to our environment so it becomes we become more and more and more established as the years go on. So the most vulnerable, the most you might say fresh canvas, you know, mm-hmm. like, and th- that means if, if if I'm a fresh canvas, one stroke is a massive effect. One brush stroke can mean mm-hmm. 
the whole rest. You know, it affects quite a lot of what comes next. Yeah. So then um, once that one stroke is made, you could say that would be a, uh, it could be a traumatic event like, oh, mom or dad was unavailable for the first whatever, you know, mom was sick after birth. And, and there it is. There's the message. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite, as a child, you know, we can't articulate it. But as an adult, we can look back and say, what is actually going on as a sense of fundamental question mark around, am I safe? Mm -hmm. Am I safe here? You know, or something like that. And that could be from uh, early uh, trauma about having to get surgery or, you know, physical illnesses, um, dysfunction in family, uh, being witness to violence or any kind of thing that uh, would lead us to question safety, because that's what is ruling uh, those original, those first months of our lives is safety, survival. Right. So um, as we go older, we have more and more context, more and more structure, and the belief systems are easier and easier to dismantle. So the further we go back, when I say easier, what I mean, they're easier to recognize. They're mm -hmm. a little bit more, um, uh, you can articulate them. Mm -hmm. So if it's a very, very early, it becomes more like an existential thing. And later on, then it becomes more of a social or more of a um, psychological, emotional beliefs mm -hmm. that we can actually pinpoint through phrases and things like that. So what is this inner child work? I like to call it inner child play because children like to play. Mm -hmm. They like to play yes. a lot. You know, and they, don't, they don't get much out of the idea of having to work. That's not how they gain strength in their character. Mm -hmm. They gain strength in their explorative curiosity and the joy that comes with having senses and being able to interact and exchange. Mm -hmm. So when I personally invest some time, uh, it looks like using a real-life interaction. Like, for example, um, if I go out to check on the center, what's going on over there, and I had previously made some specific plan for something to get done. And I have a team of uh, people who are supposed to do it, for example, you know, like a crew. And I go over there, and if it's not done, the first thing that comes up is, um, well, it depends on my mood, actually, hmm. what the first thing is. But yeah. in the worst case scenario, the first thing that comes up is, how is this possible? Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like disbelief. Mm -hmm. Like I was so clear. Yeah how can this be, you know, like this frustration almost, like if I really get into it and let it, uh, if it's really serious, like costing a lot of time or energy or money or emotional struggle, people getting mixed up and stuff because of something not getting done mm -hmm. the way that I hoped, mm -hmm. then I can use that moment and say, okay, what's beneath this? First of all, I'm not going to be a very successful leader in that moment because I'm triggered. I feel powerless. Um, I feel misunderstood. Um, I'm afraid that their or my failing will lead to suffering or it won't work out some way for somebody, myself or other. So then I investigate the actual feeling emotion, which is so, but let them, so I just have to stop, like let them keep going with whatever they're doing or just say, hey guys, we're going to take a break. And the process for me looks like very clearly recognizing what's the emotion. Mm -hmm. And the first label would be almost like one word, as best I can. One word emotion. Um, frustration. Okay, like one word, boom, frustration. Mm -hmm. Now, I let that 
simmer in my own body for a moment, if I can get beneath, and I believe in the practice, so I can get beneath the story of I sh- I'm right here. You know, I'm right. They're wrong. They should have done this. Mm-hmm. Um, I've practiced enough uh, in my own psychology to recognize that if I think that I'm right, um, then I've missed the mark. Mm. because I know that I'm not right. I know that everything is out as it needs to be, and my thinking that I'm right and it's wrong is a misperception. Mm-hmm. That's just a philosophical view I've chosen to take on because it puts me back in the seat of experience and growth rather than ego and projection. Yeah, I'm right, you're wrong. Right, that whole dance, yeah. exactly. It's like um, a waste of time. So, so I get clear. Okay, it's no one right or wrong. I have a syst- I have a um, a feeling, you know, mm-hmm. something going on. So this is just to for me to understand. Yeah. Um, this is really a belief that you kind of had a moment that you decided I am not right, and then whenever you arrive at a situation like this, an interaction where there is difference between how you see and the other side sees things, yeah. Yeah. you really have made this decision already in the past that. There is no right and wrong. It's an opportunity to learn and grow and yep. evolve. Yeah, you know, because everyone's doing their best. Mm-hmm. No one does anything for any other reason than because they think that it will work out. Mm-hmm. So if I say, well, you're wrong because I sent a message that was very clear and like this, um, I make them wrong. You know, I'm right and they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Um Unfortunately, that's based on a belief that it should have been, that they should have done it differently. Mm-hmm. You know, they should have read it more clearly. Mm-hmm. And I can even point that at myself. Oh, I should have written it better. I should have called and make sure they got me. You know, the whole mm-hmm. should game. Yeah. And I, I think, I don't remember who it was in my past that just said a very simple and very sweet uh, statement that, you know, it's not so nice to should on other people <laughs> or should on ourselves, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of gross to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I get myself out of that is to remember that I actually don't have the view right now. I definitely don't have the view of the universally observable and unfallible law of cause and effect. Mm-hmm. It does not fail. There will be a a cause and there will be an effect. And that result or that effect is the manifest reality that I experience, that Mm -hmm. we all experience as now, as the how it is. So for me to posit in any any amount that it should be different than the way that it is, is literally arguing with the entire universal Mm -hmm. law, the only unfallible law that will... It will be it will sustain until the end of existence. Mm-hmm. Cause effect is a scientifically proven fact. Yeah. And so if I can even scientifically or whatever, remember that if I am at the stance of I'm right and you're wrong, I'm already deluded. I'm already lost mm-hmm. in an egoic state. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to be anything other than, okay, maybe I can prove it right. You know that yeah, I was right, and you get to you deserve whatever then punishment that. Or feeling of being wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this whole thing. Which, what what good does that have anyway? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It gets to build me up. Yeah. The, the me that likes to be right. And then mm-hmm. it looks, and then I get to look at them as uh, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. it's just, a, it's a waste of time, energy, uh, unfortunate 
you know, circumstances of emotional, it's actually toxic inside of me because I'm arguing against the universe. Mm -hmm. And that creates friction. And the friction within the body, it manifests as dis-ease, mm -hmm. emotional turmoil or, you know, things like that. Yeah. So the flow state is in agreement with reality, which is that it's like this. I don't have to actually condone it or expect that it should happen like that again because my response to it is actually what I'm interested in. Mm. How do I respond? Because that's mm -hmm. what is the cause for the next reality. And I am that creative I am that creative power that is manifesting as well as you, as well yeah. as everyone involved. So then I can become more empowered rather than power over someone that I'm right and you're wrong. We identify with the fact that we are just a creative power. And then we can go into the deep truths, which is why would I have created this situation again that I feel mm -hmm. frustrated, powerless, that I feel that my in best intention was misunderstood or mm -hmm. whatever it is. So personally, that's something that comes up for me if I investigate yeah. my, my personality's uh, triggers or whatever you call it, you know, those moments is... Mm -hmm misunderstood oh, i feel misunderstood again and that's frustrating and da, 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 da. so then the work is very clear i find the emotion frustration i close my eyes and i open to the the possibility that there's a version of myself that was so overwhelmed with frustration that was so powerless in that moment to get what it wanted that it stamped into my subconscious a belief that life involves being misunderstood or that I don't deserve to really have clear flowing interactions with the most important things in my life. So it's just a belief yeah. that life is going to be a struggle. We take it personally. We totally take it personally. Yeah. And, we, and we have to because our, our existence depends mm. on us surviving that situation. Yeah. So if my frustration of trying to get what I want has to do with mm, love, just basic love, attention, like a child crying, for example. Yeah. They're either uncomfortable because they've you know, gone to the bathroom in their diaper. They're legitimately hungry, mm -hmm. generally. Um, I'm talking pretty young kids, you know, and they're just yeah. screaming for what is true for them. Yeah, don't have words yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, ah, you know, fresh <laughs> power. I can't communicate, but yeah. I am not happy. You know, yeah. like, this is not working out. <laughs> um, and that pain translates into a sound, and then that sound, you know, hopefully will affect the environment. Mm -hmm. But if it doesn't affect the environment in a way that I hoped, then the feelings of frustration will start to anchor as this is life. Mm -hmm. You see, then it starts to become a pattern of, okay, life is just disappointing or life is just about this or life is about, or women are untrustworthy or men are untrustworthy or, you know, like yeah. this or whatever the belief might be that could be lingering in there. So the point is when I close my eyes, I'm open to the idea that there's some point in my life, originally very young usually, if it's that kind of like, you know, it could be like when I was five or 10, you know, pretty young. Mm -hmm. It could be when I was one. Yeah that this sense of being frustrated, not able to communicate, and that it doesn't work out the way I hoped. So that's the seed that has sprouted into a personality that might look like, let's see, in its like full-blown manifestation, you'd say, oh, he's a tough boss. You don't want to get on his bad side, okay? 
Yeah. What does that mean? It means that they have accumulated enough of a, you know, like reputation or whatever that people recognize that they have a short fuse when it comes to not getting their way. Mm-hmm. And they've projected that challenge inside of themselves of being misunderstood and not being you know, in control. And they've sort of projected it onto the people that they can control in a way. Mm-hmm. And then when they don't get their way, you get fired or you mm. get you know, demoted or whatever. And so they get recognized as someone who's tough boss. Okay? Yeah, you get a punishment. Yeah, you yeah. get punished, exactly. So the personality of the, the daily adult life uh, is usually indicative of very clear moments in history or long-standing mild grade you know sort of making it through like mm-hmm. oh, we just make do with this oh, okay i only see my dad for you know two days a week mm-hmm. i just make do it's i yeah. normalize it and then later in life my belief is men aren't really trustworthy mm-hmm. they don't really show up when you need them they're just kind of there whenever it's convenient yeah and we know? don't even notice that that's no. our belief sometimes oh, we no. just we almost dev- we never do yeah until we wake up to this practice of self-inquiry pretty much always blaming the other person Oh, that was a poor choice in relationship. Mm. I was dating the wrong guy. Mm-hmm. Incompatibility. Yeah, it's all these things. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they just, we just don't go together. Yeah. Right, exactly. We don't usually check and see what is it that I'm actually um, doing to manifest these conditions of disappointment mm-hmm. or of um, seeing uh, that guy and auditioning you know say there's 10 people in the room our subconscious is very wise it wants to seek harmony all the time it's flow nature's flow yeah so our deep subconscious knows that flow is the only and most successful path of life Mm -hmm. so it'll say i have a belief system here it's outdated it's been hanging on for about 20 years now (laughs) it's outdated in a good case (laughs) yeah exactly hopefully not longer yeah but i need to find a way to un uh, un sort of unstick this belief from mm-hmm. my my personality so let's bring that person say i'm, I'm the subconscious speaking let's bring that person mm-hmm. back home to reassess is this still functioning does this belief mm-hmm. still make sense because mm-hmm. it's going to keep running in the background just like any background running app on your device yeah. until you go in and actually check and see does do i still want this to be running mm-hmm. And the way that it gets our attention is it figures out where our attention is going. So if I become very motivated and my attention is always going to my work, my subconscious will pretty quickly realize, okay, I just got to get this person into a work environment that will make them feel Mm. the way that I need to get them to feel because that's how they felt when this belief was actually created. And if they can check and see, does that feeling still show as valid? Is it still a reasonable feeling to have in adult life? Mm-hmm. Or is it outdated? Because mm-hmm. how'd you feel when you were that age? Well, you felt what? Disappointment or I'm not enough. I'm not lovable. Uh, life sucks. Um, men aren't trustworthy. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can only get what I want if I really struggle for it. Mm-hmm. Whatever that, you know, situation. Life's is. hard. Life is hard. Yeah. It can be that simple. Yeah. Um, I don't deserve success unless i really have to fight for it Mm -hmm. uh, whatever those uh, pieces will be so the point is that the subconscious is so wise 
that it will give us a hormonal response to make us attracted to a situation or a person or an environment that is similar enough or could potentially be similar enough to the original environment. And why would that happen? It was happening because the subconscious knows that this is not a really great operating system. It's outdated, okay, the belief system. But the only way to assess whether or not we can replace it is to get attention to look at it and, and see, does mm -hmm. that still hold up? Yeah. Does this belief still yeah. make sense? So creating an uncomfortable situation that we either numb it, which is what a lot of us do, right. or are forced to actually look at it and yeah. deal with it and then reassess if it still fits who we want to be and exactly. what we actually believe as an adult. Perfect. Hey, I'm quickly interrupting the episode to extend an invitation. If you are interested in deepening into any of the subjects we talk about on the podcast, we offer many different experiences on our beautiful grounds here in Baja, Mexico. From nine-day modules such as sound healing and yoga nidra, to breath and meditation, as well as two or 300-hour yoga teacher trainings, and many different shorter retreats. Check out our website, yandara.com, to see all the information about the different experiences. Let's get back to the episode. So those opportunities of disappointment, of frustration, of getting, of feeling victimized, um, those opportunities will arise um, again and again and again and again until a part of us recognizes this is a pattern. Yeah. Maybe it's not about the person. Maybe it's about my mm -hmm. belief about what I deserve in a relationship. Yeah. Because they met the next, I, I, you know, we broke up. I saw them connect with somebody else. They have an amazing relationship. He doesn't treat her that way. Mm. What's up with that? Mm -hmm. Well, I needed him to treat me that way because that's the way my father made me feel mm -hmm. when I was forming my beliefs about men and relationship. Mm -hmm. So we create these very reflective realities for ourselves to have knowledge of what we might have been going through and, are, and have until that moment been unable to recognize. Mm. So very intelligent, actually, our subconscious using our hormonal systems to make us get very excited when we see someone. Mm. Very, <laughs> if we fall in love, yeah. like that, oh my gosh, he's the person, she's the one. And hopefully uh, we trust that. We let ourselves get involved. We let ourselves get vulnerable. And once we let ourselves get vulnerable, then we become available for them to do that thing. Mm. What is that thing going to be? They're going to do whatever it is that helps us to get a feeling. Yeah. And that feeling will be the breadcrumbs, the trail back home to the original seed of belief, of limiting yeah. belief. And, in, and it manifests as our blame. You're not doing this. Yes. You're doing that. They should you know? be. Yeah, they yeah, should be like this. It should be. Yep. <laughs> uh, you told me you'd be home by six. So why wouldn't, you know, why didn't you come home by six? Mm -hmm. You said, so you're wrong. You said you're going to be. <laughs> I'm right. I'm right. <laughs> you said you're going to be home by six. Mm -hmm. You've done this a million times. You know? And so what is that? Well, that's feeling. Um, so if someone says they're going to do something and they don't, that's betrayal. Yeah. So there's something that's set up and it doesn't follow through. Yeah. I've been betrayed. My trust has been betrayed. So that would be the underlying sort of condition to allow the inner world 
uh, an opportunity to show that original condition is our practice of inner child work to say what was that original mm-hmm. condition that warranted a belief that i that life is about betrayal and no one's really trustworthy anymore especially people that i love mm-hmm. and then you're kind of looking for the situations you're like waiting for it to happen you're like ah i knew it like your people aren't trustworthy totally <laughs> and, and then we pat ourselves on the back for being right yeah, again yeah i'm right you weren't trustworthy yeah it's very interesting when you look for something it usually shows up <laughs> <laughs> and hopefully we can recognize the opportunity is mm-hmm. always there doesn't yeah. matter how dramatic or how subtle it is, we can find a way to evolve through it. So you don't have to hit the bottom. You don't have to have a monumental devastation in order to access those pieces. But if we are pushing and pushing and pushing, the the volume, the the sheer drama around that experience has to be far greater Mm -hmm. to get our attention. Yeah. Okay, so the the distance we've traveled from that link to the flow state or the update availability every day, update, update, update. We're not updating every day naturally by being in a flow state, by being presence uh, itself, by being presence, you know, by identifying with I am awake, I'm alive. If we haven't decided upon that unique state as our identity, then we're basically operating on these outdated structures. Mm-hmm. And so when we have this opportunity to learn to go in it's not about going in and fixing ourselves or getting rid of something or getting bad energy out of ourselves it's about recognizing a certain mode of being that is like a relationship a healthy relationship which has to do with responsibility which has to do with uh, letting the other person's experience be as important as my own mm-hmm. and in that i let my inner child show up in my life like as though i was actually a father not go in there to get rid of fix and get over a child they'll feel that you know if i do the meditation on the inner child and i'm going in there and i visualize a little guy and he knows that i'm just there uh, you know to kind of get over this thing there's not going to be a lot of actual connection Mm -hmm. it's going to be skepticism yeah. I'm going to be frustrated. He's going to be holding back. And I'm using my visualization. I'm using my power of creativity to create an internal dialogue, an internal relationship, so that my subconscious becomes conscious and I've actually inhabited the depth of my own psyche. So I'm not operating on hidden agendas or I'm not operating uh, out of habit, You know, something that's because I always do it. Mm-hmm. why do i do it well because we've always done it this way it's just <laughs> yeah. what i do it's who i am have you heard yeah. that before someone say so many times it's just who i am yeah deal but, with it take it or leave it exactly mm-hmm. so of course there's a great value in being willing to hold ourselves in that unconditionally sort of accepted state like okay you know this is how i am yeah there's a value in acknowledging that i'm like this mm-hmm that yes, we want to be able to accept the personality and the traits that come along with our history and all of our challenges without getting incessantly attached to bettering the personality. Mm-hmm. Okay? I'm not suggesting that we should be always trying to fix our personality, but rather creating space for the personality to truly shine through because our personality has been limited 
That's all. We're just giving more opportunity for the truest mm -hmm. version of ourselves to have more space. Limited by these beliefs, exactly. these uh, patterns. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so the the way we show up to each other, the way we show up to our jobs and our friends and our family, then starts to show more humanity and less limitation or less, you know, projection or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. Stuff that we just normalize. So yeah. Society normalizes uh, trying to be right quite mm -hmm. often and we rally behind people that are up in arms against someone because mm. we also want to be right some mm. some level so we can recognize that there's a lot of time spent in just trying to prove ourselves maybe yeah uh, you know that my perspective is is more valid than yours or whatever yeah in, in arguments i'm talking about when it's challenging so, you know, you're sitting here, uh, we're sitting here. If you're watching this, you're sitting here wondering, well, how do I apply this? What do I actually do? That was my question. <laughs> so it's very simple. Mm -hmm. We've got to be willing, first of all, to humble our view of ourselves, to recognize that it's, it's actually about me first. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm not in connection and communion with this whole living ex organism experience, then I'm only giving you a percentage and so that interaction is automatically going to be disappointing in some way mm -hmm. because you're only getting a percentage a certain sliver of my character mm -hmm. my humanity so i check and commit very clearly to i want my, all of me here i don't want anything subconscious and hiding mm -hmm. i want you to have an experience of me not me. <laughs> yeah and also to experience ourselves our, ourselves ourselves yes <laughs> totally yeah so we and it's a blessing to be able to experience ourselves because yeah. we are uh, we're a radiant manifestation of the miracle of life you know mm -hmm. why wouldn't we be enamored to get to know ourselves <laughs> yeah. is, you know and i think about a little innocent child so if there's a lot of difficult trauma you know we can relate to ourselves in a way that's um at a distance Mm -hmm. you know a safe distance because sometimes right. we we need to approach with deep respect uh, um, a little bit of pa uh, patience uh, so if i go in and i visualize um, a little child i let the emotion and i'll give you a really like super specific tip when i have a feeling in my body of frustration i let it be in my body and i really check if i'm still lost in thought of thinking about who's to blame i just take time out on that because that's not going anywhere okay yeah just done okay mm -hmm. thank you thank you situation mm -hmm. thank you life you've done your job now it's time for me to get to the real juice mm -hmm. you know like the stuff that really matters yeah and, and anyway we can't really control other people and what they yeah. do of course not and just if, us. exactly and so when we can recognize that that um we have the commitment to ourselves then we can let the emotion be in our body mm -hmm. pure frustration I've just got frustration, for example, or pain or fear or doubt. Or, yeah, all the gamut of human experience can be here in the body rather than projected. So then I step back. So here's the tip. I close my eyes and I actually literally visualize this place of my experience of pain or frustration or whatever as staying where it is. And I start stepping backwards in space mm. and I leave it right there. I'm not trying to change it. I'm not trying to fix it. I just give it space. Super duper important. Yeah. Very, very easy for us to think, 
I want to get rid of this. Mm -hmm. I don't want to have this feeling. I want to get over it. Yeah. I want to transform this stuff as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, it doesn't really work that way. It's, it's an, you know, gravity is a beautiful power in our world. We have gravity holding us on the planet. We have the power of gravity keeping all of our, you know, solar system in place. It manifests throughout the entire galaxy that gravity is a, um, it's a fundamental law of attraction. Mm -hmm. So if we have what I call emotional gravity, it means it's, it's getting our attention. It's pulling us down. Yeah. And we don't want to go down. I don't want to go down there. <laughs> yeah. Down there. I don't want to go down there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we were never taught that, you know, there's gold mm -hmm. down there too. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we've been taught that, but we've never given the actual tools to navigate that space. And so by concentration, by practice of mindfulness, breath awareness, all these things, we can gain more and more focus. And that can start to give us confidence to go in with a light of awareness and allow that visualization to stabilize, to give it space to become a form. It could be a kitten or a puppy. Um, it's got to be innocent, though. That's why I say kitten or puppy. Mm -hmm. Or a young child or you know a kid. In their innocence, we are woken up from our selfish state of blame or judgment or victim, yeah. whatever mind. We're woken up into compassion, into our adult nervous system that's kind of wider in its capacity. It's communally conscious. When we have communal consciousness, then we can see, okay, who's suffering right now? Because mm -hmm. we're only as fast as our slowest man kind of thing. You know, this is yeah. like genetic coding. If someone's having a hard time, we need to get them ready for anything. Yeah. So if I see a young child or a little kitten or a little puppy in my visualization, um, a biological shift occurs and my whole psyche changes from identifying as a child, which is what can I get? Because that's appropriate. As a, ch as a child, I need to get in order to survive and to establish. But as an adult, it flips. Mm -hmm. I'm actually fulfilled by providing Mm. And that's why we feel so good holding the door for somebody when they're struggling with two bags or whatever. We feel immediate freedom, balance, fulfillment, presence, clarity, happiness, all the great stuff you can pile onto that moment of just holding the door for someone. Because mm -hmm. you you're imagine? lifting up the somebody weak uh, in parentheses in the society. Exactly. Yeah. You're showing up as a responsible yeah. part of your society. Mm -hmm. In that moment... If this person gets their food, we are better as a team. Mm -hmm. It's a inborn natural impulse. Yeah, we, we forget that a lot of times though. Oh, it's trained out of us because yeah. that makes society stronger and history shows that when society is strong, those in power get threatened. Mm -hmm. So when we're distracted and face down, for example, we won't mm -hmm. even notice there's someone struggling with their bag over there. We just have yeah. this incredibly important thing to check and see how many likes I've gotten yeah. on something. So and thinking of ourselves and make America great again. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like thinking of sure. me or us as opposed to all of us, you know, right. the, the separation. Yes. Yeah. And it's a feeling. It's got to it's got to be a real thing inside of us that's moving us. And in yeah. Buddhism, it's called choiceless awareness. Choiceless awareness means I don't have a choice. It just makes sense to do this now and it threatens so many people to hear this concept of choiceless awareness it's like i don't want that i want choice mm -hmm. but actually if you think about it really seriously 
when you see, and I've used this analogy because it's so poignant, if you see a child falling, like out of the, the chair, like a little high chair, what do you do? You run to get them. Yeah, yeah. You, you go and catch, yeah. hopefully catch the baby before it hits the ground. Um, would you consider that something that you had to think about? No. Make a choice in that situation or whether or not you wanted to get involved in that situation? Or? No. It's not that. It's an actual yeah. choiceless awareness because mm. that is a moment that we extend beyond our individual uh, egoic self to say, we need help. Yeah. Something's going to cause pain. Suffering is something we share as a community, as a people. Mm -hmm. So if I can reduce even just one potential you know, second of suffering, why wouldn't mm -hmm. I? Mm -hmm. And this is our awakened adult consciousness. So when we can look inside and tr translate this interaction from... I need to fix this situation to I'm just here to provide support for suffering, you know, to dissipate or whatever it is, rather mm -hmm. than trying to fix. It's a very subtle difference. Yeah. I'm not trying to fix. I'm going in there to hold space for what needs to be presented to me. Then I can respond. Okay, what is the need? It's very different than I need to get rid of the situation. I need to get, right. you know, I don't want to feel this anymore. I don't want to see the kid crying anymore. You know, it's very mm -hmm. common. Stop crying. <laughs> Fix yeah. the situation. Yeah. Uh, don't cry like this. And so if we go in there with any kind of idea that to change it or to fix, that would be counterproductive, to mm -hmm. say the least. Yeah. So in order to really respond, I suggest going in, closing the eyes, seeing a little child or a little puppy, and being moved by choiceless, mm -hmm. immediate, and compassionate attention. Mm -hmm. And it's different than trying to get it to change. Right. It's responding from a place of maturity. So accepting what is instead of resisting it. But not complacency. Mm. It's yeah. in, it's immediate action based on acceptance, yes. Mm -hmm. That oh there's something happening. I'm and I'm honored to be able to respond. Because by responding, I've woken up the latent adult maturity that has always been waiting to guide me mm -hmm. and to fulfill my life moment by moment by moment mm -hmm. and so those are those precious moments to the inner child where their belief system gets put up for up for negotiation is it true that i'm not lovable actually if i love that child that belief becomes paper thin mm -hmm. if i see the child being uh, abused and i go in and i take the child in my visualization I'm powerful in that visualization. I can do anything. And if I realize the child needs to be taken to safety, you know, if there's an actual harmful situation, and I scoop the child up, and I don't get so concerned about who's to blame, I just see this, you know, the need, mm -hmm. boom, gone, out, safe. Then the subconscious, because we're just working in the subconscious, using visualization to access mm -hmm. subconscious beliefs. And so we shine light on that situation to say, well, maybe it's not true that you don't deserve protection because I'm showing you right now that you're worthy of being noticed, honored, believed, and protected, mm -hmm. for example. And just by showing up that way, we don't even have to figure it out. The inner world changes, and all of a sudden it becomes a, a beautiful place to be for that child. Mm -hmm because we've shown up and added our awareness to it of what's working and what's not. You know, and 
and in that intimate moment, that very vulnerable and very um, challenging moment, really, because we often are comfortable in our existence. So that level of intimacy challenges um, our selfish daily life. Mm -hmm. And so if we're able to and willing to in that moment get free of our own uh, edges, you know, our own kind of compassion threshold where we, yeah, you know, I'll give you a dollar, but I'm not going to spend time, you know, like when you see someone on the side of the road, I'll give you a dollar, but I'm not going to spend time figuring out what you actually need. Yeah. You know, that's my threshold. That's my level right there. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not suggesting personally, but th that might be the level when we can break free of those ideas of what my compassion threshold is mm. and give ourselves the benefit of the doubt that maybe I can be a whole lot more than what I gave myself credit. Then that exchange becomes magnificently potentially mm. enlightening and, the, and those moments become life changing, mm. actually revolutionary to the kind of um, life that we want to live because based on those direct experiences our whole belief system will shift mm -hmm. continents will so move. providing the need that we didn't get as a child exactly yeah beautiful i want to ask because there are different uh, relationships that aren't right right so there's there is a difference between checking am i the one sabotaging this relationship or is it really not right for me and i think that's important to talk about so absolutely so this is a beautiful and um important distinction to make the way i look at it is right and wrong aren't concepts that fit into the greater reality those are concepts that were created in my mind based on my preferences and what will kind of bolster my belief system. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. Should I stay in the relationship or should I get out? Yeah. Do I stay in this abusive situation and try to learn from it or do I make a clear line mm -hmm. of a boundary? Of course, it's a very practical question. But before, so before those decisions are made, if we actually honor what was driving me to that you know situation originally mm -hmm. then when we approach that decision of whether to stay or go it won't be a question of oh my gosh should i it's very clear that this is not attractive to me anymore it's literally just like mm -hmm. i'm not interested it's just like yeah. <laughs> it doesn't hold the weight that it once did yeah because the love that i was seeking was actually always available, but it was much closer than I thought. Mm -hmm. And then the vision of that person literally changes. You don't see them as someone that you would um, make yourself vulnerable to for no good reason, basically, because, yeah. because the promise of what was going to be got, you know, received from that was felt as real before mm -hmm. it really felt like they were the answer to my longing yeah and if i and if i leave i'm not going to get what i you know that love that that feeling of intimacy and that feeling of really being seen mm -hmm. and so when we close our eyes and we meditate on the part of us that's actually asking to be seen and we ourselves are able to see and when we open our eyes again that individual is not part of our dependency anymore we don't see them as a crutch we don't right. see them as a need. 
We don't have this desperation that mm -hmm. would lead us to go into that room with them again. It's just literally a different world to us. And we choose. Do we want them around or we or don't we? I, I wouldn't even say we choose. <laughs> I would say it's very obvious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're just not attractive in the same way anymore. Mm -hmm. It's just not making sense. Mm -hmm. And that confidence of knowing that I'm lovable without them or I'm seeable without them or I'm d deserving of love because I've loved myself mm -hmm. gives us a stance of clear seeing yeah and we see okay this person's doing their best they haven't done anything wrong they were doing exactly what i needed them to do to help me find where i was believing that i didn't deserve love i deserved mm -hmm. abuse yeah because that's why they've been abusing me is because i had some i'm not suggesting we're to blame i'm saying mm -hmm. that we wouldn't stay in an abusive situation if there wasn't already a belief that i deserved it mm. okay Please don't misunderstand this. You shouldn't stay in the situation. Yeah, of course. Yet, if we leave that situation with our, you know, middle finger flying and saying, "Yeah, I got out of that one," you know, and they're going to burn in wherever because then we've missed the point, and we're going to mm. meet the same person in another pair of jeans around yeah. the corner, and within a couple of years, they'll manifest exactly the same situation for us mm -hmm. to learn from. So hopefully, we get it in our life the first time yeah what exactly yeah, yeah. Or, so there's yeah. so there's no right or wrong relationships there's only a direction of delusion thinking that they're the problem mm. and a direction of awakening or illumination which is to shine a light of awareness inside and say you know i love you i've missed you i'm sorry mm. i've been uh, distracted by this person mm -hmm. out there i know you're the one i actually I'm here for mm -hmm. and then that person inside becomes um the answer yeah beautiful i love that because it really these needs come from a sense of lack so if we give ourselves what we're lacking then we're, we don't look for it outside of us yeah. beautiful well christopher i am looking forward to our next conversation this me has too. given me a lot of uh things to work with in my own personal journey and i am excited to anybody who might listen to this uh write this down use it in your practices wherever you see a moment of struggle really try to go back to um this teaching and look inward in the end we're the only ones that can change ourselves. I mean, the only thing that we can really work on and change is ourselves. And I think that's a really great thing to, to a great place to start. And also it's very empowering because it means that we are able to change something. And can I ask you? Of course. The other day, as this conversation started, the other day you had an experience of when those original belief structures were created how has your interaction with the world been since you uh, were able to integrate some of that knowledge mm. any changes well it's been a process i have to admit yeah. Gro it's growing pains yeah it's something very big that came up so it, i've gone through tears a lot of them uh a little bit of blame as well and um now i'm kind of in a place of observation of just kind of stepping back like you said and really trying to look at things and not placing myself in the situation but kind of looking at it and not 
defining things and saying it's got it's like this it's like that i should be this they should be that you know just letting things kind of play out and flow yeah <laughs> i'm using the word flow because i think that's one of our themes um, that mm -hmm. you've understood you can let life unfold yeah that's what i'm hearing is that it's a shift it's a major mm -hmm. reorientation yeah to the way life can be you know mm -hmm. uh, when we come from a place of um believing that we have to adjust or manipulate in any way the situation mm. uh, or ourselves for it to work out yeah uh, we get in the habit of thinking that it won't work out if we're not manipulating or even subconsciously navigating or negotiating and so there's a massive reorienting process mm -hmm. and if we're willing to go through that process as you are so gracefully sharing with us mm -hmm. thank you um I think that that observer, that clarity of being willing to let life show up mm. rather than st stuck in identification with that story. Yeah. Um, great, great massive potential is, is already available. So, yeah. Freedom. Freedom. <laughs> yeah. And I know it doesn't feel like yeah. that right now, maybe yet, or I don't know. But, no, it doesn't. <laughs> Not but, yet. But I assure you, you know, how it's been, what, a few days, you know, something mm. like that. Um, I assure you that the recalibration process, <laughs> though it's difficult, um, will align you with true north. You know? Yeah, I do yeah. feel that I'm processing this experience differently than I have in the past. And that already gives me a lot of hope. Perfect. Yeah, that's really what it's about. <laughs> mm -hmm. Showing up in a new way. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Christopher, I love this conversation. Thank you so much for this. And I'll see you in the next one and Pleasure. at dinner. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now, after this time to nurture your mind and your spirit, we invite you to take a moment to consider others. A kind wish might come to mind. Know that what we learn becomes more valuable when we apply it and share it with others. So share this episode on Instagram stories, tag Yandara and I, or share with a loved one so that more people can benefit from it. Our hope is that the search will lead you home to who you already are, to what was always there. We'll be back next week with more inspiration, honest conversation, and insight into the energetic world around us. Thank you for listening and watching.